The Secrets of Stargate is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Stargate, Episode 8. Janet West Jackson has identified the seventh symbol. All right, here we go. We are about to try to make a connection. All we gotta do is bust out of here, commandeer the ship, and fly on home. say that a lot. I know that this could be dangerous, but this is our job, right? It's what we signed on to do. It was never about going home. It's about getting us to where we're going. Hi, I'm Jack Barazzini, and you're listening to The Secrets of Stargate, where we talk about the hidden meanings and deeper layers found in the Stargate movies, TV series, and more. And joining me today are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father. How's it going, Jack? It's going well. And Lisa Jones. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Jack. Hey. And Victor Lambs. Hi, Victor. Hi, Jack. All right. And today we are discussing the eighth episode of the first season of Stargate SG-1 called The Knox. And make sure you stick around. We're going to have some listener feedback after we discuss this episode at the end of the episode. Yay. Yay. Right. So this episode... <laughs> Starts off with the Stargate is being demonstrated to a reviewer from the Pentagon who's um, looking at the technology and seeing the benefits of it. And despite the fact that it is a wormhole that allows you to travel through thousands of light years across space, he's not impressed because they have not brought back enough technology to make it worth his time. (laughs) He even talks about how the Apollo missions were not worth it because all they brought back was moon rocks, which is a particular uh, sticking point for me. People hating on the Apollo missions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, Teal'c volunteers them to go to a planet where they ha- there's an alien race that has an invisibility cloak that even the gold have not been able to access. They go to this planet, searching for this invisibility cloak. The Stargate disappears mysteriously. They, they discover that Apophis and the Jaffa have come there. They stage an attack on the Jaffa and, the Ap- and Apophis. Everyone is killed. They are mysteriously revived by a species of aliens who are known as the Nox. They are extreme pacifists. They work with the Nox. They end up discovering that um, the Nox are the ones who have the invisibility cloak, not these giant wasp-like creatures. The Nox end up demonstrating that they, they are using their invisibility cloak to hide everyone on the planet, and then they allow them to leave at the end. I I really well, enjoyed this episode. I I feel like it it falls into that well worn trope of science fiction where you get the extreme pacifist aliens who, despite any sort of attack, they're going to end up not even defending themselves. But I feel like it did a few interesting things with it. It had a couple pitfalls which we can uh, talk about. But uh, what are your thoughts, Father Corey? Oh, I, th- this one I've always enjoyed, and and part of it, of course, is. Uh, Armin Shimmerman's excellent, excellent acting in this. I mean, he's just incredible. And for those who don't know, Armin Shimmerman is is Quark on DS9. Uh, he was the leader of the Nox. Antaeus is his name. Uh, incredible. I mean, he's an incredible actor, but you really get to see it's almost like the exact opposite character from Quark. You know, you can hear more about Quark from Secrets of Star Trek, but here you get, you know, Antaeus, who he's like the exact opposite character. You know, he 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 he'd reject the rules of acquisition. I'm pretty sure. Oh yes. Well, I don't I don't know the the first rule of acquisition. Once you have their weapons, you never give them back. 
That's true. Well, no. <laughs> well, he did, though. But he did, though. At the end. Yeah, and he did. Yeah. And uh, he's he's even further in this case from his uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer character, Principal Snyder, which if you've seen that, uh, he's yeah, a very good character there as well. What about you, uh, Victor? Oh, I like this one as well. It it does build on the mythos of the show. It's our first encounter with a non-human, non-ghouled mm-hmm. alien. So I, I appreciate it from that. Uh, and and they do revisit the Knox uh, later on, which we can which we can discuss a little bit. Uh, well, nice. several yeah, that'll be cool to see uh, several dozen episodes from now. But yeah, what about you, Lisa? You you a fan of this episode too? I am. I've always liked this one. I I uh, I love that the Knox are not what they seem, and you get a little Apophis. You get a little, you know, continues the Gould say mythology. You know, you learn more about them and about Apophis, and and yet we meet this other species and you know, get a nice surprise at the end. So mm-hmm. yeah, I like, I like that we get more into Teal's psychology here, where when he's speaking with the other Jaffa, it comes out that his, his whole view is that he wants to go back to his home world and free all the Jaffa. So you get kind of mm-hmm. a bigger picture view of his plans more than just him taking care of himself, which I like it really deepens his character, mm-hmm. which spoiler alert. The first he, time he, he says, yeah. I die free. Right. Tall Shaka yeah. Bell. Tall Shaka Bell, everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it is interesting, though, because, like I said, this is the first time we hear that, that he uh, that he wants, that he's not just worried about for himself, but for the rest of his, his race. Um, and it, it does really develop that, mm-hmm. uh, that, that he's, you know, because up to this point, of course, we've talked so far that he really, his character is kind of one of the later ones to develop. But now we're starting to see that, that, you know, it's not just he's glad to be free of the, the gold. He also wants to make sure that the rest of his race is free from them. Right. Something else that was nice to see in this episode is that we finally get. So they're going to this planet to find this invisibility cloak um, from these these strange creatures that you, you don't have really get a clear view of them. You see them like once, but that really is not the main point of the episode. It's kind of a red herring. But as soon as they discover that Apophis is on the planet, you finally get Daniel Jackson acting like he cares about finding Cherie and Skara. Because as soon mm. as he sees him there, he's like, all right, forget the mission. Let's take him captive. Let's bring him back. That will you know, kill two birds with one stone. We'll get to find out what's going on with Cherie and Skara. And then we can also deliver him to the Pentagon and the higher up intelligence officers. And they can you know, drill him as much as they want about advanced technology. So it was good to see him actually caring about something because I feel like his character thus far has been very like almost like a he's been very cold about things and kind of just detached from when bad things are happening. He's almost just wanted to observe them. So it's been good to see it was good to see him taking some agency in that. Yeah. And and I think this is where we really see uh, Jackson's character develop into what he becomes for most of the show, which is when you meet an alien trying to communicate with them, trying to figure out what their ways are trying to, you know, commun- you know, communicate what our needs are, you know, how they can, you know, align with your needs as well. And that's really the role he plays for most of the, of the series from now on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And definitely. he's not trying to make, you know, Samantha Carter be a, a slave no. for, a <laughs> for the group or something like that, you know, something stupid. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that would have been very unpleasant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and so the Nox, they're these, at least upon upon first impression, they seem to be almost these Ferngoli-type hippie aliens who live in the forest. They have very shaggy, mossy hair. 
I'm trying to think. They look. I cannot put my finger on it, but I feel like they look like something from another movie that I'm that I've seen in the past. I don't know what it is though. Cats. No. <laughs> that that might be it. Well, you know oh, what? When we were now I'm not going to be able to get that image out of my head. When we were watching the first commandment, I I meant to go back and look, but I could have sworn I saw one of them, or at least the costume, you know, with the big headdress in uh, one of the scenes. Yeah. And I wonder if it was hmm. one of those, oh, wow. they, uh, the costume department, you know, created it in first commandment and then went, oh, we could make a whole, this could, you know, this could be their identity for for this episode. Oh, I can't believe I forgot to go back and right. screenshot that. Could have been an Easter egg. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. That yeah. Could have been a, kind of interesting Easter egg. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they're extreme pacifists. They refuse to kill it all. And they have this ability to cloak themselves and also cloak other objects. It's never really fully explained as some kind of psychic advanced power or advanced technology. Um, but they also have the ability to heal people and bring people back from the dead because early on this episode when the SG-1 team confronts Apophis, Samantha Carter, Daniel Jackson, and uh, Jack O'Neill are all killed with the staff weapons. And then they wake up later on, they've been healed by the Nox, and later on we see when the Nox child is killed that they cannot shield themselves and heal someone at the same time. So they mm-hmm. make that choice to be vulnerable and also heal yeah so for legend of zelda fans you know when when sg1 is wiped out the Nox are kind of their fairy in a bottle that revives them after they're <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> after they're dead and there is that comparison between the Nox and like you know the the fairy folk uh you know jack actually refers to them as the wee folk or the wee people at, mm-hmm. at one point so i think they're they're very much uh meant to be like you know the the, the fairy folk um in this as well and can we just talk about how like SG one are just like they've been taking like marksman lessons from stormtroopers at this point because they cannot hit anybody in that opening firefight. But oh yeah, I, I, I hate to see it as as a as a former member of the Air Force. That sounds very Air Force to me. Oh no, we don't fire guns very much. We we use things called you know uh, air to ground missiles and stuff like that. You know, yeah. those those you you just get in the general vicinity and it goes boom. You know. <laughs> Well, it's it's nice to know that they had they had room to grow, right? They they didn't do so well yeah. the first time yeah. against the Poffus, and they learned. <laughs> Otherwise, it'd be a really short show. Yeah. <laughs> what I would like to know, and they never talk about this in the episode, is what was Apophis doing on the planet, and what was his plan? It just seems like he was kind of wandering around. I'm going to assume that he was looking for the creature to get the invisibility cloak, but they never really make that clear. And so when at the beginning, when Teal is talking about going to this planet, there's like these big giant wasp type creatures. The Fenry. He, yes. He refers to him as a hummingbird with teeth. teeth. Um, yeah. And that they, they assume that they have the power of invisibility, which obviously later on we discover that it's the Nox who are shielding them because hunters come to the planet to hunt them. And so I'm I'm assuming that that is what Apophis was there for, but that's never really made clear in his his motives and also his he doesn't really seem too concerned about getting things done, which seems to be a problem with the gold. Yeah, overall, well, they're not, they're not particularly motivated. We learned from uh, Children of the Gods that Apophis does not like to delegate. 
when he's looking for wives, <laughs> he will go through the gate and get them himself. So if he's <laughs> if there's any, you know, Fenry hunting to be done, he's going to be doing it himself. He just does not trust his Jaffa to, no. to do it. Yeah. I mean, Tilk failed and he killed two of his underlings. So I, I think Apophis is just like, I give up. I'm going to go do it myself. At least I can be there to kill them myself if they miss. But no, it, it is it is kind of more or less made clear that's what what he wants. He wants the 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 cloak technology. Not realizing it's not a part something that this animal does, it's something that the Nox do. And of course that's the big concern about this one uh Jaffa who finds out about them who was who was killed and was re, re- resuscitated by the Nox that they're concerned, you know, uh, SG1 is concerned that he's going to go back and of course as he does, he goes tells Apophis, "Hey, I know who can do this uh, this invisibility trick." Mm-hmm. It's funny because in terms of like advanced technology, doing an invisibility cloak is really not that hard. Like we can do that now. It's it's difficult, but we have that ability. They've made cloaks that you can see through the other side and it looks kind of like how they have the effect here where it's kind of like a shimmery sort of like how they do the predator and the predator movies where you can kind of see it but it's you can see through it like they have that technology now here on earth so i'm wondering if there's no one else in the universe that has that ability that Apophis could steal it from well the the ancients uh <laughs> yeah <laughs> they can hide entire cities but that that's another thing that was interesting about this episode was the so the the crux of it is basically when is it okay to fight? When is it okay to kill? And the Nox are, to all appearances, extremely pacifistic. But then, and they seem to be kind of like primitive, like you said, fairy folk who are living in the forest. But at the end of the episode, it's revealed that they have this massive floating city. So they obviously have an advanced form of technology. And the whole point was if the SG1 team had not fought back against their pacifism and fought back against Apophis, everything would have been okay if they just trusted in that. But he could have just told them that from the get-go and everything would have been okay. This is one of those stories where if everyone had just communicated, the, <laughs> yeah. the drama would not have happened. I don't, I, don't and, know the, uh, I don't know if the Nox are so much pacifists as passive-aggressive at that point. It's like, well, if you had just like played along, we could have shared our technology with you, but now we'll never have that. But no, I mean, right. the Nox are the worst kind of pacifists. Not only will they not harm anybody to de- defend themselves, but they won't even let anybody else harm somebody to defend themselves. Right, and it really begs the question, if so they've gotten to the point where that they're that advanced so they can be pacifists, but what did they do along the way to get to that? Because I can guarantee you no one, no advanced civilization can be a pacifist from the very get-go and really get to the point mm-hmm. where they're at. Yeah, I've played Civilization Six, and you can't, you can't be a pacifist. <laughs> <laughs> get anywhere in that game. And we know that's just yeah. reality right there. <laughs> oh, absolutely. There. Right. <laughs> that's what's frustrating about this episode is that we don't really learn a lot about the Nox civilization. We're just introduced mm-hmm. to these you know, couple and, and what's going on there. And then we see at the end, there's this huge city. And so do the most of them live up there? Do they live on the ground? You know, what is it really like? We, we get a tease of it, but they're never really explained. My head canon is, is that Andreas and, and the others were excommunicated for being too pacifistic. They were like kicked <laughs> out of the city and like, you can go live in the forest. <laughs> yeah. See, my, my, my thought is that, you know, yeah, they, maybe they had a violent time in their past, but now that they've gone past, and of course, their technology now to the point where they don't have to defend themselves; they just disappear. Basically, you know, it's it's hard to shoot something that can suddenly just disappear and go away. You know, and again, that that really takes any sort of depth out of him admonishing the SG one team for being violent, and like 
like he says, like, oh, you're so young and the young ones mm-hmm. don't listen. It's like, no, you guys just have advanced technology that allows you to teleport. If everyone had that, and, we wouldn't have to shoot each other as much. I mean, <laughs> you, and, and by the way, that's not the last, this isn't the last time we have an advanced technology that doesn't want to play nice with, with humans and share. It's pretty easy to be pacifist when you can have the technology and hide. Yeah, hey, exactly. Hey, our ways are not your ways. Just <laughs> that's all you need to know. <laughs> there were some great one-liners on this one. They do do something that was interesting in this episode that they haven't really touched upon was when they first start speaking to the Nox and they bring him out, out, out of the hut where they've been revived and um, he's giving them the food. I was almost waiting for Armin Shimmerman to start handing him food and being like, all right, you got to pay me up, you know, pay me. But yeah. that was, that wasn't going to happen. Uh, it takes them a while to learn the language to communicate with him. So they, they do address that issue where thus far, every time they've gone to a planet, everyone just speaks English and they don't even address it, which I'm fine with. Cause I know that's a conceit you have to do with sci-fi, mm-hmm. but it was interesting that they at least incorporated that somewhat into the story. Well, and it shows how advanced they are that they can they can pick up languages at a blink at a drop a hat. More relatively speaking, I mean, think of that they they went from having to do sign gestures to say eat to having full conversations in you know course of matter that's that's you know let's say of course times being stretched and compressed as it is in TV you know matter of an hour let's say you know they were able to go from you know nothing to full conversations. Uh, same thing with the, that older. Knocks uh, where he goes. Well, what? How do you measure time? You know, and you know, years and dates and so on. Oh, I'm 430 years or whatever it was. I mean, just bam, picked it up as soon as Daniel Jackson was finished explaining our, you know, our. Except for it's not revolution of the Earth. The day is not the revolution yes. of the Earth. It is the rotation of the Earth and the revolution around the Sun. So bad, Dan. Well, of course, he's not a scientist, so. If it was Sam Carter, she would have gotten it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's hinted at that they are at least mildly psychic. So they, I'm, I'm assuming that's kind of how they acquired the, the language. They <laughs> were able to see into our minds and understand it that way. Yeah. There, there's a lot of really nice stuff in this. I mean, the whole uh, section of the episode where they're in the Knox village. And I think that's, it feels like two thirds of the episode. It's, it's almost staged like a stage play where, you know, characters come in, state their positions, walk out. There's, there's dialogue and stuff. I thought um, Jack O'Neill did a really good job kind of explaining, you know, kind of that military mindset, you know, like we have to fight the bad guys, you know, they're, they're bad, they're bad, mm-hmm. you know, that's why we fight them. And, um, you know, they're going to enslave you. Um, and then, you know, to which the Knox say, you know, like we are slaves to no one. So mm-hmm. it is clear that there's a line that they, you know, that they won't let people cross uh, when it comes to them. Yeah, definitely. And it's I, I don't know if this comes up later on in the show, um, but they talk about how the reason they didn't bury the Stargate was because then someone would know someone had buried the Stargate. But then later mm-hmm. on, they at the end of the episode, when the SG-1 team is leaving, they say they're go- the Knox say they're going to bury the Stargate. So I don't know if eventually they just got pulverized by uh, the gold or if that comes up later on. But that was just them being passive aggressive. And it's like, oh, I guess we have to bury our Stargate now because you didn't trust us. You know, we were, oh, we were fine with the gold coming through every now and then. But not you guys, you know, have you? Um, and it did remind me of I don't know if any of y'all have read this book, uh, the Star Trek Destiny series no um they're a it's a series that takes place it's next generation time frame it's a trilogy of novels and it deals with the origin story of the borg and in that there's this race of aliens who live in massive floating cities who are extreme pacifists 
and their cities are all <laughs> completely shielded from everything. Um, mm. And it seemed like this this came out at least ten years, ten or fifteen years before uh, these books came out. So I'm wondering if the author uh-huh. of those books lifted some of that from this this episode, the concept of these extreme pacifist advanced aliens who live in floating cities. It is fairly common sci-fi trope too. Yeah. Though. You either the extreme pacifist aliens or the you know, of course, the floating cities. I mean, that that's as ancient as is sci-fi it can get. You know, so yeah. I mean, even back to like the day the Earth stood still, right? You have the advanced aliens coming to to you know make sure that humans don't use their weaponry and stuff. So. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a good concept to explore in sci-fi. I just feel like a lot of times it's not dealt with in a particularly realistic way. Like very often you just get this, it's kind of a, almost just a moralistic like weapons are bad and killing is bad. And it's like, yes, <laughs> but to quote uh, Mal Reynolds from Firefly, when someone tries to kill you, sometimes you have to kill them right back. Yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah but like we said it's really easy to be against killing can just bring them back to life yes definitely yeah or just hide before they can kill you in the first place you know and and it does i mean it did seem to me that it's not like i didn't get the sense like the Knox were saying oh you humans utari we're we're gonna judge you for this it's just your way is not our way our this our way does not go the way you think it should and and i mean maybe that's just my way reading it but it it, and, and part of it Again, when you kind of look at the end, where also they've got this super advanced technology where they've got a floating city that you know they 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 go to. They're basically they're not saying we're pacifists. They're saying we don't need to worry about this. You guys can't harm us. Someday you'll learn that your way is not the only way. Yep, as, as they say. <laughs> it seems like if that was the approach they're going to take, they could have been more proactive about stopping everybody. Like they could have just because they send. Apophis and Ola Jaffa back through the gate off screen so you don't even know do they just teleport them there or how do they how do they deal with that but they could have just done that from the get-go and sidestepped the all the issues that were dealt with in the episode which obviously you're not going to do that because for narrative reasons but I do wonder from a in-universe standpoint why they didn't just do that and I mean what possible reason would the Nox have for not letting uh, Jack Trank Apophis, you know, with the tranquilizer dart. I mean, that's just they're just being jerks at that point. I mean, well, they they say we don't trust you that you're you're going to take him back to his your planet and you know guess do bad things to him. So but, that's not yeah, your I don't business. Know. That's kind of a weak. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Our ways are <laughs> your not ways. your ways. Yeah. You, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, they were just going to tell him that he was a bad man who's done very bad, nasty things. Hmm. <laughs> And uh, he's just bad. Did a, very bad. Did a lot of c- uh, scenery chewing as well in this episode. Oh, yeah. Peter Williams. Yeah. <laughs> Who I didn't know until I looked up, but he was actually in uh, MacGyver as well. So there's nice. your, there's your uh, callback to nice. uh, Richard Dean Anderson. I'm really digging his uh, gold skull cap thing he's got going on. It's got to yeah. be itchy, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And this is what? yeah. And this is the first time we also see the uh, the force shield, the personal uh, force shield that they have. I also like how there's no name for the staff weapons. They're just called staff weapons. Like there's yeah. no I was I was assuming Teal had some sort of Jaffa word for that. He's like, this is my staff weapon. I'm like, yep. Well, there it is. Well, pretty soon they'll they'll introduce the Zat gun and they have a lot of fun with the name for that. So, mm-hmm. oh, nice. And, you know, and it, it, that, that does kind of remind me, though, that this is kind of the first episode where we really hear that SG, the SG teams are seeking technology. Mm-hmm. You know, before this, it was, of course, Shari and, you know, and finding the finding them. And then it's, you know, exploring and well, now technology. And of course, 
that is one nice thing about personally one thing I've I've liked about the Stargate series is is the technology has advanced throughout you know but they don't start humans don't start out with this super magnificent technology it took time to build up to the point where they have this really great technology you know and they acquired it from different places and eventually you will meet the Asgard and they'll bring in technology and and goes from there mm-hmm. And I think that speaks to just the reality of how these things often go. Like scientists are often employed by the military to work on advancements in technology mm-hmm. that even though the scientists just want to do it purely for the sake of discovering, you know, do, making discoveries in science and technology, there has to be a practical application before they're going to get funding for that. Like the space program, a lot of that was pushed by we need to beat the Russians and we need to be in space. DARPA dollars are going towards the Stargate program here. Yeah, and we well, oh, and we learn in this episode too. This is their nineteenth uh, planet that they visited. Um, so I guess that includes the other Stargate uh, SG teams as well. But mm-hmm. we don't get to see any of the other, I guess, nine, uh, eleven planets. And, and that's something that uh, it's good to keep in mind for these kind of shows, where you get a when you get a whole season and it's episode by episode. It's not literally every single day, whereas mm-hmm. oftentimes in serialized television, you're getting a much shorter window of time. Right. Like it's going to be day by day because it's so the storylines are so compressed. And that was, and I, I think that was a good decision on the part of the creators because that allowed for spinoff media like books, especially you know that allowed them to have. And I, I, I'm trying to remember. I think aren't there? Isn't there an episode or two where they actually? We find out they are going back to a planet they'd been before or something like that, you know, and it's kind of, we see some of it kind of flashbacks. I, 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 I can't remember for sure, but I thought there was something like that. Double Jeopardy, I think, is a season five episode where they do something like that. You know, so it's, it's, a, um, it's a good way to do it, to allow for more expansion of the story, where again, they can go back, they can do books, audio books, you know, um, like. Big Finish does a lot of stuff for Doctor Who mm-hmm. with this kind of thing, you know, where they're, they're radio dramas, but they tell stories that are in between the televised stories. And, yeah. you know, so Stargate has that flexibility as well. Mm-hmm. Something else I really liked was the prop that they use for the Stargate. They've got that on the planet. Um, and whoever designed that did a really good job at making that modular and look like it like a realistic physical object just sitting there which really mm-hmm. gives them that's going to cut down your costs immensely you just got to plop that down rearrange some of the stuff and you got your prop right there <laughs> like that was that was good this this week we're filming here yeah. next week we're filming on the top of this hill next week we're you know. <laughs> yeah and you could tell later on in the show and when, when they when they moved to to sci-fi and they had maybe less money they would they wouldn't even show the stargate on the planet that they were going to they would just like you know be on the planet um, mm-hmm. maybe the steps, maybe like the yeah. bottom two steps or something. They'll just come down the couple of steps and they're there. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, it was a it's a good episode. All right, um, Father Corey, did you have anything else you wanted to add? Nope, nothing else here. What about you, Victor? Uh, nothing. I really liked uh, Ray Zifo as uh, Grandpa Knox. He was uh, he mm-hmm. was really good. Um, yeah, I think they did a really good job setting up the uh the the mythology of the show in this episode and uh, we see it pay off kind of later on and um i like this episode yeah it was a good one what about you lisa um i really like the the scene where carter is playing with uh, the little boy the girl i don't remember which one it was and uh Jack <laughs> you. Says, no, you can't keep them yeah 
Yeah. <laughs> it was a little playful <laughs> moment that was fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was definitely good. All right, well, uh, we have some uh, feedback from our listeners today. Uh, Paul Leone on YouTube commenting on the episode on Children of the God says, I love the show and the conversational friends just talking about this cool thing vibe you all have. Keep them coming. And we'll definitely do that. That's something we're trying to do here is keep it fun and keep it casual. Uh, Paul Leone also on Twitter uh, commenting on our episode on the enemy within says, good episode, but I've always thought it aired too soon in the season. They should have had a few more Kowalski appearances first to give his death more weight. And I definitely think that's something that would have been uh, interesting if they had done it that way, because you kind of just get him in, and it's almost just, he's a cameo because he was in the movie, but you don't really get more than that. So what do y'all think? I think the show's producers and creators realize that as well, given how many times they bring back Kowalski later on. I think they realize that mm-hmm. they that they kind of ushered him out a little too soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's from that standpoint, it would have been very nice to to see him, again, to develop a little bit more relationship with the character. Uh, but then the then the the three part pilot went to worked as well. True. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is true. That's the, and because was, that's 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 the whole point of it was. But sorry, I was just saying it was good because it really set up that it was it was so um, the goal was so dangerous, right, to kill off a major character so quickly. Mm-hmm. So it worked for me. Right. It gives you right. It, it gives you the stakes. And uh, Machine Language on Apple Podcast says, I love to listen to the Secrets of Stargate series thus far, as I have always wanted to learn about Stargate, and as I had seen parts of the show here and there throughout the years. And yeah, I definitely agree with that. I've, I'm watching the show as we're doing these episodes, so it's been a lot of fun to get into this universe. It's always something that I've mm-hmm. had on my list to watch, so this has been a fantastic opportunity to watch that, and it's been really fun discussing it with you all, because I know you've been fans of it for years, so it's been good learning mm-hmm. about it from y'all. And it's it has been fun for us. Uh, you know, Paul Paul talked about you know friends getting together and, and talking about this this fun thing we have, and it, it's true. I mean, we all really enjoy this this series, and it it because it, it is such a fun series. And you know, glimmers of of the 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 humor and glimmers of the energy and glimmers of the fun of the series are just starting to come through at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, and it gets better. Yeah, definitely. So it's, it's a good time. So hope everyone sticks with us. Um, Thistledown John on Patreon says, I just bumped up my contribution amount because of this. If we get a Secrets of Babylon 5, I'll do it again. Thanks for the great shows. <laughs> I think that's definitely something that would be uh, awesome to see at some point. That's yeah, anyone awesome. want to chip in a little bit more for uh, Secrets of Andromeda? Gene Roddenberry's? No, oh. no one? Oh, okay. I- I'm, I'm going to speak for Don Bettinelli, the, the CEO of StarQuest. We'd, be, we'd love to do it. We need panelists and editors. Anyone volunteering to do either or both, let Dom know, and we will have Babylon 5. And I would love to see it as well. I'm also a fan of that series. Uh, I'm not as knowledgeable in that as I am with, uh, with uh, Star Trek or Doctor Who or, or uh, Stargate. But I'd love to see uh, Babylon 5 as well. So... We will take volunteers to do it. We would love to have it. We just, you know, we don't have the time and the resources because most of us, except Dom, are volunteers. So if if you're not watching Babylon 5, there's a hole in your mind. That's all I can say. Mm. <laughs> I agree with that. It's a fantastic show. <laughs> so, yeah. Is this um, when I confess but... I haven't seen it? <laughs> oh, you have to watch it. It is. Yeah. yeah sorry. <laughs> Secrets of Stargate, sorry. everybody. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> Secrets of Stargate. Go watch Babylon 5. <laughs> yeah, but um, 
So yeah, and something that always really helps um, with is people like Thistledown John uh, donating and supporting us on Patreon. And we'd like to take a moment now to uh, thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the Secrets of Stargate and all the other shows, including Secrets of Star Trek, uh, Secrets of Technology, Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World, and hopefully someday down the line, Secrets of Babylon 5 and Secrets of Andromeda. Yay. Including Jeffrey W, <laughs> Dennis H, Daniel M, Ann M, and Axel L. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Stargate and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. Be sure to follow the show in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or on the SQPN YouTube channel. To find previous episodes of Secrets of Stargate and to send feedback, please visit sqpn.com slash stargate. You can email us at, at stargate at sqpn.com or follow StarQuest on social media at facebook.com slash starquestmedia or on Twitter at sqpn. You can also join the StarQuest fan club mailing list by texting StarQuest to 6686. Send StarQuest to 6686. And we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the next episode of SG-1, Brief Candle. Until then, Father Corey, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Stargate. Well, thank you, Jack. Lisa Jones, thank you as well. Thanks, Jack. And Victor Lambs, thank you too. Thank you, and the very young do not always do what they're told. (laughs) (laughs) Once again, I'm Jack Barazzini. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Stargate on StarQuest. Anyway, I'm sorry, but that just happens to be how I feel about it. What do you think?